The Holy Gospel according to John, the first chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. So frequently, when I'm helping to put these bulletins together, the sermon title usually comes before the sermon itself comes. And so this is one of those cases where, you know, light in life, the sermon title works. But I prefer to call this sermon uh, a sermon about the time when I knew definitively I should not go into a career in public safety. When I was in college, I worked for about a year uh, as a student campus security officer, I know. I know. In hindsight, even a student job, thanks, Julie. In hindsight, even a student job in public safety wasn't exactly the wisest choice for someone who is so easily, shall we say, startled. Uh, but Concordia is a small, uh, private liberal arts college on a landlocked, one square mile campus in the bubble of suburban river forest. What could go wrong? Uh, so, nonetheless, and I wish I had a picture, but. Sad day I don't. Student patrol officer Josh Evans, badge number C14, still remember that, <laughs> reported for duty. And part of our rounds on every shift included something called a clock run, which was kind of a funny name because it didn't involve a clock or running, uh, but it did involve this handheld device that we called a clock. Uh, it was like a reader, and then there were about a hundred or so of these little strips around campus in various locations and you'd go around and you'd swipe it and it would beep and then that would say that you had been to that particular spot on campus and that all was safe and secure. Now these 100 strips were strategically placed around our one square mile campus, a little bit of overkill probably, uh, from mechanical rooms to make sure nothing blew up. Uh, to emergency exits, make sure doors were secure, and to the one building whose basement had once been home to the long-defunct animal testing lab. All the stuff was still there. They never got rid of it. But there it was. And there were also magnetic strips located um, in different places, different offices, including um, each of the three houses along the westernmost border of campus that all functioned as office spaces for different departments. 
So on one particular overnight shift, probably around one or two in the morning, uh, I was on my clock run, uh, walking, and approaching the last of these house offices, home to the football coaching staff. And this is sort of nestled in the, in the far northwest corner of campus. I mean, it's one square mile. It's like two minutes away from anything else. But kind of the far northwest corner of campus. And it's between the football field and track and a little wooded area. Uh, so relatively secluded. And every house had roughly the same floor plan. As soon as you would walk in, uh, you would be greeted by the door to the basement. And so when I walked into the football house, I immediately noticed that the basement lights were on. Uh, now, that didn't strike me as particularly out of sorts. Um, Absent-minded staff and faculty were leaving lights on and leaving doors unlocked all the time. It was my sort of job security. It's why I existed. Uh, so I just I ignored it, and I went upstairs um, to go swipe the little strip thingy in the bathroom, uh, as was my pattern. And then I came back down, and I was going to go down to the basement to swipe the little strip thingy in the basement. And the lights were off. Uh, now, a good security officer uh, would have used their radio to alert the dispatcher about their location, call your patrol partner to come for backup, and then investigate further. Safety in numbers. Uh, now, what did I do? I ran away from that house as fast as I could because <laughs> they did not pay me enough to find out what was going on. I still have no idea what happened in the basement of that house uh, that night. I have my ideas, but I have no idea. Uh, now, I tell that story. Yeah, that area was not safe and secure. Um, I tell that story for two reasons. Um, it's amusing and a little self-deprecating, and who doesn't love to laugh at themselves? Uh, but two, it's a good example, I think, of the power of darkness and light and the effect that they have on us. Because it's one thing to patrol or walk around anywhere, to patrol remote corners of campus when it's light outside. There's something familiar and comfortable about the relative security of daytime. But in the darkness, even though, of course, nothing has changed, and it's still the same building with the same rooms, there's something a little more unsettling about it. Now, of course, there are blessings in the darkness as well. Our scriptures contain example after example. Jacob wrestles with God through the nights and is blessed by God. God leads the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt under the cover of night. And an angel visits Joseph while he sleeps to tell him about Mary's pregnancy. Angels appear to the shepherds keeping their flocks at night. But the blessings of darkness don't always take away its power to instill fear and uncertainty. Darkness is a creepy basement on patrol of campus, but darkness is other things as well. Despair, anxiety, depression, addiction, grief, diagnosis. We know darkness, and it's scary. So last Sunday, we heard Matthew's story of the birth of Jesus with Joseph and the angel coming to him in a dream. On Christmas Eve, we heard Luke's version with the shepherds and the angels. And then today, we get Jesus, or John's account. There's no Mary and Joseph. There's no shepherds, no angels, no manger. Jesus isn't even explicitly mentioned by name. 
But we do have light. Light is powerful. John knows that, and he uses that imagery of light to describe the birth of Jesus, the inbreaking of light into a darkened world, the coming of God's word taking on human flesh to live among us. It's a beautiful, poetic introduction to his gospel, albeit a little confusing. Now, recently, I've also started watching The Crown on Netflix. Any fans of The Crown? Yeah. Oh, this service might win for fans of The Crown. Well done. Uh, It's an excellent show. It's a um, historical drama um, that chronicles the life and reign of Queen Elizabeth II, which is fascinating, and I'm sure it'll show up in a sermon down the road at some point. Um, But in one scene from the first season, as Elizabeth is being crowned as queen, her uncle Edward, who had previously abdicated the throne, is watching the coronation on TV in his home uh, with, with some guests, and he's commenting to them, as this is happening, on the seeming absurdity of so much pageantry that sometimes seems unnecessary. But he says, oils and oaths, orbs and scepters, symbol upon symbol, an unfathomable web of arcane mystery and liturgy. Who wants transparency when you can have magic? Who wants prose when you can have poetry? And as I was watching that episode Friday night when I should have been writing this, it struck me as a particularly fitting explanation for what's going on in John 1. This is poetry, and it's the gospel writer's seemingly complicated but intricate and intentional prologue to his retelling of the Jesus story, perhaps the most unique version in our Bible. For John, Jesus is the light that shines in the dark places of our lives and the broken places of the world. In Jesus is life, abundant life, as the gospel writer will show us in story upon story, abundant life offered in the midst of scarcity and uncertainty. Life that cares so much about us here and now, that it takes on human flesh to live among us, life that brings us into God's family, that gives us the power to become children of God, and indeed gives us the ability to become light bearers to each other. When we held up our lit candles in the darkened sanctuary on Christmas Eve and looked around at all of the lights that filled the room. It's a powerful moment, for sure. It's a tangible reminder of the ways that we do bear God's light to each other, and a reminder of Jesus, the light, who comes into the world. Now, sure, we could have just spoken the words of the litany. It was a beautiful prayer. But who wants words on a page? when you can experience candlelight? Who wants prose when you can have poetry and magic and mystery? Because the birth of Jesus is mystery. We call it the mystery of the incarnation for a reason. But we can experience its afterglow. The light of the world gives us new life and equips us in our baptismal calling in this world Let 
your light so shine before others that they may experience God's love and God's light through you. Amen.